This is the Living Out Podcast, and I'm Darren Steele. I help gay men explore their unique and vital role in society towards the outcome of leading others in creating a more balanced, evolved, and humane world. So I'm going to be talking about LGBTQ topics, social justice, and personal growth on this podcast. Sex panic! So what is sex panic? And somebody, somebody, please think of the children. So last week, I published a post on thegayguidenetwork.com. I pulled together a couple threads around this panic around sexuality and did a little bit of research. So the expression of our sexuality and the freedom to have sex with whomever we want has been a defining characteristics of the early gay rights movement, especially pre-AIDS, and Things have changed, but there are aspects around sex and the fear of sex and the panic around any kind of sexual expression that have become worse in certain ways. But where did this all come from? And where did the expression sex panic come from? Well, back in 1997 in the queer community, Sex Panic was a sexual activism group founded in New York City. And quoting from Wikipedia... The group characterized itself as a pro-queer, pro-feminist, anti-racist direct action group campaigning for sexual freedom in the age of AIDS. It was founded to oppose both mainstream political measures to control sex and elements within the gay community who advocated same-sex marriage and the restriction of public sexual culture as solutions to the HIV crisis. The group has been depicted as a faction in gay in a gay culture war of the late 20th and early 21st centuries. So yes, I remember some of that. There were some uh, predominant um, individuals from ACT UP, for example, that were, on the one hand, they were trying to save the gay community from this plague called AIDS, and they were suggesting absolute monogamy or getting married and being in a monogamous relationship. And while that's one way of looking at things, It certainly is restrictive, but on the other hand, it was self-preserving. That's a whole other story that many people have written about and the challenges within the gay community that had been brought up in the 70s and the 80s pre-AIDS with complete and utter sexual liberation. I'm going to fuck whoever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want. And I think that certainly came from the kind of oppression and the lack of rights and freedoms that gays had. So they would find themselves in gay bars and bathhouses and cruising areas, and it would just be an absolute free-for-all. But then there was the question of identity and, and love and companionship that a lot of people were also looking for at the same time. So very contentious. It's whenever someone stands up and says, we want to take something away from you, whether that be money or sex or power or your possessions, the ego wants to say, fuck you, no way. So as long as we've had oppressive oppressive religions, there's been sex panic for the simple reason that sex is fun, it's liberating, and it's a basic human behavior. And sex is a form of creative physical expression that frees the mind, the body, and the soul to see beauty in the moment. Sex is sensual. It involves our five senses, and it's something that scares the bejesus out of fundamentalists and evangelicals. Uh, 
you know, case in point, the United States Vice President Mike Pence is actually afraid to be alone in the same room with another woman who is not his wife. That's some, in my opinion, really messed up religious ideology. It also goes to show that how, I would say, weak his character, the substance of his character is, that he's not able to control himself, that he is also decided or through upbringing and belief created this idea in his mind that if he's around a woman, she is some form of a temptress that is going to take him out of his perfectly moralistic way of being and is going to turn him into a crazed, sexed, hungry man who's going to want to have his way with her. When you think about it that way, it's kind of a little crazy. Now, I talked about this in another podcast, um, how gay men uh, preserve culture and, and imbue culture with creativity. And I believe, from what I've learned from Ray Rigoglioso in Gay Men and the New Way Forward, that this is one of our unique gifts as gay men, that we are highly creative and expressive. And because of our understanding of the masculine and the feminine identities, we have taken on literature and art and we've expressed out of ourselves, often because of the repression or having been in the closet or not having been able to feel everything that we want to be openly in society, and we found another outlet. We found a way of expressing. We found that we could use perhaps repressed sensuality as a way of creating something beautiful. So I'm going to have a come-to-Jesus moment with you here now. I've often wondered why people scream during sex, Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! I'm coming! Doesn't it seem that sex would bring us closer to God rather than push us away if there was such a thing as God? The problem is not having or feeling a connection with spirit or your higher self in the moment of sexual ecstasy or a God. But rather, religious doctrines, which are often taken too literally, word for word, or these texts have been secularized by men running the religion who have added their own rules into it, it's religious doctrines that seek to control and suppress sexuality, the innate connection with nature that we are all born with. The church seeks to demonize sex, for the freedom it allows human beings to be creative and to think for themselves. Now, quoting Raymond Rigoglioso in Gay Men and the New Way Forward, he says, It should come as no surprise that religious and cultural conservatives view joy, celebration, ecstasy, and exuberance as degenerate. For in their view, they are right. Gay spirit undermines patriarchal power structures. Fascinating. So sex panic is an ideological-based suppression of our basic human need for touch, intimacy, and the act of sex itself. It's an absolute denial of that which makes us human beings. It's not all that we are, but it's definitely part of who we are. And as queers, as gay men, as lesbians, as bi, as transgender, as... 
non-conforming. We can teach humanity to let go of ego and ideologies and experience that sensuality of beauty. To recognize that beauty, that sex, that sensuality is natural, that it's found in the natural world. Human beings come from nature. Thus, we express innately and creatively what is only natural and what is truly normal. Any religion that says you shouldn't do that, it's because it's just some construct and a way of other people trying to control your freedom to be innately who you are. Now this somebody please think of the children thing is going to take me into one of the most common arguments around the suppression of education around sex and sex education. And the Simpsons did this really well. The Simpsons knew what they were doing with the constant satirical um, Helen Lovejoy, the wife of the local minister. So, Somebody think of the children. Now, that's a phrase that has evolved into a rhetorical tactic. Literally, it refers to children's rights. Fine. Like maybe children labor or something like that. But in debate, people will often use it as a plea for pity and a an appeal to your emotion, and it's a logical fallacy. It's just like, oh, think of the children. What's going to happen to the children? This happened in Ontario, Canada, late last year at the Ontario Provincial Conservative Annual Party Convention, where they brought up wanting to eliminate the teaching of gender, but then also one of the policies they were promoting to get elected was that they were going to repeal the 2015 sex ed curriculum for all public schooling, which they did. And they went back to a curriculum that's like 17 years old, pre-iPhones, you know, pre-everyone having access to internet, you know, pre-all of the LGBTQ rights and equal um, and acceptance that we got in both Ontario and in Canada. Now, there were people that were saying, it's like, oh, well, I'm a concerned parent, and I wasn't consulted. And, well, maybe you just didn't get the memo, but the former government did consult, did put out, uh, I guess, um, town halls or whatever they were called, or, or surveys and such. And there were quite a number of years that went into the creation of the 2015 curriculum. But the big question is, what are these people afraid of? What are they protecting their children from? And in my mind, I think kids are going to learn about sex. And they can learn about it from their teacher in a pedagogical environment called school. And they can learn about it in a safe and supportive classroom where it's structured and delivered over time. They can ask questions. They can learn how to protect themselves in very important ways, like from STIs, from sexual bullying, from rape. They can know their rights. They can know how to handle themselves when the situation arises, because it will at some point, and we can't control when it's going to happen. Conversely, yeah. That kid can access the internet. They can go to an internet cafe. They can check on their phone. They can watch porn. They can get the dirt on the street from their friends. And some parents with very limited critical thinking abilities will say, well, we have software at home to limit access and little Johnny or little Susan wouldn't ever do this. 
Really? Do you know what your kids are doing when they're not under your helicopter supervision, when they're behind the school smoking a joint or vaping? Or maybe down on their knees sucking someone's dick? You don't know what your kids are doing. But what's important is that kids need to know this information because information is power. And see, that is what a lot of these, mm, I would say, limited critical thinking parents and other people look at. It's like, well, we don't want to give kids this knowledge because then they'll have this power. I think there's enough research out there that shows that if people know the truth about the information, they make better choices. So it's like literally you wake up and you're in a basement with no windows. Can you see if there's no light on? It's pitch black. You're fumbling around in the dark to find your way out. That's what these parents want who wanted the sex ed curriculum repealed. They want their kids to fumble around in the fucking dark. So what they are doing is harming their children with a lack of information. And I think that's irresponsible and ignorant and lacking in critical thinking. What we were trying to do in the province of Ontario and in Canada is educate young people so that they can make the best decisions. Will it stop them from having sex? No. Will ignorance stop kids from having sex? No. So the debate around sex education should not be based on the manipulation of emotions in an argument. Like, if you want to control what your children learn, then homeschool them. Or private school them. But if you're going to pay your taxes and send them to public school, we need to care about all the children, just not some of them. The existence of gay and lesbian parents is a fact, not ideology. Proponents of anti-gay laws may be trying to save the children, but the ultimate effect of such laws is to harm the physical and psychological well-being of millions of children currently raised by loving LGBT parents. Now, bringing in some Ontario human rights The chief commissioner, Renu Madane, said on a radio interview in October about the repeal of the sex ed curriculum by the PC government, that the role, the goal of the Ontario Rights Commission is to ensure that vulnerable and marginalized people are protected, however unpopular they may be in society. She went on to say that the curriculum needs to represent everyone who calls Ontario home. There's a lack of knowledge some people have about other groups, but the solution cannot be erased, cannot be an erasure of groups from that curriculum. What needs to happen with the future generation of students is a discussion about their human rights and the responsibilities to other people. So it makes you wonder, are things going to get better with this sex panic or are things going to get worse? And we look at what's happening All over the globe in LGBTQ rights, there is now a bit of a decline. People are trying in governments to take things away. The transgender ban in the United States, uh, the uh, election in Brazil of the very far-right evangelical dictatorial leader who is vehemently anti-LGBTQ. I mean, he has advocated killing us, the porn ban on Tumblr last year. What's the problem? Is what I ask in general. 
Why do we need to suppress and hide our sexuality? It is what it is who we are. And, you know, sure, okay, think of the children. If we come back to that for a moment, how do we manage that? That That is certainly a discussion. When we look at things like uh, a week or so ago, world-renowned photographer Tom Bianchi was banned on Instagram. And it was a picture of a muscular man sitting on a bed, and you could see his bum. But he was sitting on his bum, and he was naked. You couldn't see his penis. I've seen far more butt on Instagram than from that singular picture. And Tom Bianchi is world-renowned, famous. He's got several books out. Um, And I follow him on Instagram, and I haven't seen anything. His What he publishes on Instagram is far tamer than anything else I've seen. But for whatever reason, somebody just decided to flag it. And who decides? Who gets to decide when it comes to the expression of sensuality, of the erotic in artistic depiction? what is okay and what is not okay. And things are always going to come up and disappear. And Facebook is going to make its decisions about what's right and what's wrong. And Instagram, owned by Facebook, is always going to be this moderator that we may not agree with. And there have been instances, I would call it related to sex panic, where people that are using a lot of tags like gay or LGBTQ or things like that that the hashtags even are being flagged for potential moderation, depending on what the content would mean. So we have to be ever vigilant. We have to be aware that there is the benefit of the internet, that we can communicate quickly and widely, and we have the power with that to make our queer voices heard, and how we continue to move forward together by trying to understand both sides in dialogue will determine how much more quickly we can make things get better and how much we can reduce this panic, this fear around sex and help other people understand that it's just human nature and a celebration of living out the best of who you are. Until next time.